Hello and welcome back to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And we're back with number 58 on AFI's top 100 list of films, 1925's Gold Rush. Gold Rush. Starring Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin. Well, a lot of the box art I've been seeing for this film and a bunch of other of his films have said Charles Chaplin. What? Have I just been doing it wrong the whole time? Or is it Charlie Chaplin? Like, how is he actually advertising himself? I've seen him only ever as Charlie Chaplin. I guess I've never paid attention if they say Charles. Well, I guess that's a mystery that cannot be solved in any way. (laughs) Never. (laughs) I mean, I guess his full title was Sir Charles Spencer Chaplin, KBE. But I don't know what that means. Okay, I was about to ask you that. (laughs) Well, let's click it. Let's click it and see what this means. The KBE means the most excellent order of the British Empire. You get it for doing shit in the arts and sciences, charitable stuff, public service, outside of the civil service. All right. Sounds like Charlie Chaplin's a pretty cool dude, which we'd have known already because in all of his films, he's such a great guy. He is a nice guy. So, Ethan, we should mention that we watched the 1925 version of this. Yes. There's a remaster in, what is it, 1942? 42. And the 42 version is slightly different in that it is re-edited. Charlie Chaplin has some narration that goes over it. um, And it no longer is as long as it is. It's actually shorter. But part of that, I read, has to do with the fact that it's played, it's sped up to whatever frames per second that the the talkies used that apparently the not talkies didn't so we should mention that the soundtrack i listened to was updated it wasn't the original played piano from the 25 version right i mean i i assume that they would just play that in you'd have a piano player in the theater do 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 playing Yes, but now we have a 2018 or 2017 or whenever this was posted on the website playing this, right? The piano didn't sound. They didn't have this fidelity yes. sound. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, Ethan, why don't we just jump right in with a plot synopsis? Let's do it. The Gold Rush is the story of Chaplin's tramp character, yet again, who has set out for Alaska to find riches during the gold rush of the late 19th century. During his travels, he gets lost in a snowstorm and makes his way to a lone cabin that houses Black Larson, a notorious criminal. At the same time, Big Jim, another prospector, finds a large amount of gold, but also stumbles his way into Black Larson's cabin during the storm. Larson tries to evict the two of them from the cabin, but is unsuccessful. The blizzard thickens, and after they run out of food, the three draw lots to choose who will go out into the storm to find supplies. Black Larson is chosen, and he heads out. However, he discovers Big Jim's find and tries to double-cross him. Meanwhile, the Tramp and Big Jim are forced to eat one of the Tramp's shoes, and Big Jim begins to hallucinate that the Tramp is a chicken, which he tries to eat. As Big Jim tries to kill and eat the Tramp, a bear wanders in, and the two kill and eat it to survive. After the storm is over, they part ways, and Big Jim is ambushed by Black Larson, who knocks him out with a shovel and gives him amnesia. Black Larson, however, is killed when the cliff under his feet 
crumbles. When Big Jim awakens, all he remembers is that he found a gold deposit somewhere near a cabin. The tramp, meanwhile, makes it to a settlement and falls in love with Georgia, a dancer. In a fight with her partner, she decides to dance with the tramp to foment jealousy. The tramp, of course, falls in love instantly and later invites Georgia and her friends to have dinner at his cabin that he's taken care of. They jokingly suggest New Year's Eve and he accepts. The tramp works very hard to set the scene, but the girls don't show. After the new year has been rung in, Georgia remembers the tramp and she, her friends, and Jack, the love interest, head to the cabin to play a joke on Charlie Chaplin. The tramp, though, has left the cabin in sorrow. Georgia feels bad, but Jack insists she stop and kiss him. After he forces a kiss, she slaps him and leaves. The next day, she writes a note of apology, which Jack jokingly gives to the tramp, who falls for it. Big Jim arrives at the dance hall, looking for the tramp, who can lead him to the cabin and therefore to the gold. The two head out to the cabin, but during the night, it is blown to the edge of a cliff. The two barely make it out before the cabin falls and they find their gold, the treasure. A year later, the two are millionaires, but the tramp laments that he never did get the girl. During a photo shoot of him in his tramp clothes, he's mistaken for a stowaway, and Georgia, who's also booked passage on the ship leaving Alaska, tries to pay for his passage not knowing he is now rich. His status is revealed to her, and the film ends with the two of them kissing the end ethan you glossed over what i take to be the pivotal scene of this film oh no what did i gloss over new year's eve dinner tramp falls asleep because georgia and her friends have not showed up and he does this bread dance where he sticks forks oh. in two rolls of bread and uses them yes. like legs and feet and does a little bread dance with his hands in yes. his dream yes in the dream so the reason this is the pivotal scene Mostly because everything happens similar to the ways in which things happen in Marx Brothers films. They just happen. Chaos ensues and there's order restored in a in some form or fashion at the end, right? Yes. Um, and actually, this is an interesting factoid that I don't know where else it's going to fit, so I'm going to throw it in here. I did read that Charlie Chaplin supposedly never really wrote any sort of script for any of his films what he did was just come up with a premise build a bunch of sets and and honestly just sort of made shit up as he went along like the camera started rolling and he just started doing gags until something worked and they would do something sometimes like 52 takes of a scene until he got it the way that he liked it and sometimes charlie chaplin apparently would just take weeks off of filming to to just think and figure out how he was going to make things work. And and a lot of his films were self-funded, so he could just afford to be like, yeah, I'm putting everybody on hold for like five days while I go and figure this out. So it kind of makes sense um, in the sort of larger scope of the, the films of his we've seen. Well, I will say that I think it pays off because there are some really cool and memorable yes. slapsticky moments. I think back to when Larson and Big Jim are wrestling over the gun and there's one shot left in it and yes. it keeps pointing unerringly towards the tramp and he has to dodge around the room as they're struggling. It's well choreographed and just really funny, irrespective of you know the fact that it was shot in 1925. 
Yeah. And and I will point out again, because this is another place that I don't know where else we're going to put it, um, but we watched this film. Uh, it's in the public domain now. It's on YouTube. Um, at least the 25 version is. And uh, it's in... Uh, 1080p HD and man I was sitting there watching this last night and I could not believe how good it looked and at first I honestly thought that the shots that didn't have Charlie Chaplin in them were like recreated or something uh I thought that they you know it was it had like a filter or something on it I mean it looks good in in HD so Ethan I have to push you on this a little bit you couldn't find another spot for that to go in our podcast not like a third question or something about whether or not a film ages well Whoops, cut that out and we'll put it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to return to why I take this scene of the tramp falling asleep at the dinner set for five, but it's just him because the girls have abandoned him because they're just playing this cruel joke the whole time. Mm-hmm. And they only do this after they find under his pillow the ripped picture of Georgia that yes. Jack rips and the tramp finds on the ground of the dance hall and the flower that she had on her when they danced together to make Jack jealous. Mm -hmm. So they find this out and immediately they go to cruelty. And so the reason I thought this was a pivotal scene is that like Georgia is a terrible person. She's not a very good person at all. Usually this kind of film, this is a, what does it call it? Like a dramatic comedy. I think is what the title card calls it. Yeah. But usually this is a romantic comedy, uh, musical comedy, whatever you want to call it. Right. And the love interest is supposed to be likable and we're supposed to understand why the protagonist falls in love with them. But the tramp is just smitten simply because of her beauty and her false personality. Yeah. She is good looking though. I will say. Sure. But like, she's (laughs) just a terrible person. And so you get this scene of the tramp imagining a good night together with these women. And, And it's like, you know, not in any way like seedy or gross or anything he's just doing this little bread dance with his forks and it's adorable and they've completely abandoned him and so there's not any audio to play for this i mean we could probably show the piano somewhere in here but i feel like that's a little disingenuous given that it's like this updated played stuff but maybe we'll put this in at the beginning or the end somewhere just to get an idea of the audio but I just wanted to talk about this scene because it's so radically different than my expectations for a film like this with the love interest. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think it also may lead into my thesis. Okay. So for a film that's made, what, four years before the Great Depression officially begins, mm-hmm. if there is yeah. such an official beginning we can give it, this film is so concerned with money. There's no other reason for... Georgia to get with the tramp at the end, except for the fact that he's a multimillionaire. There are a lot of problems with the with the romance here. It does not put Georgia in a great light uh, by any means. And it's happenstance at the end that brings them together. She just happens to be there. I, I mean, I guess the, her one redeeming quality is that at the end, when they mistake him for a stowaway, she's like, I'll pay for his passage. I mean, I guess that's her redeeming quality. And that she feels bad that they play a joke on him. Yeah, so I was going to say this is rooted in pity. And pity is not really a great place to begin a romantic love relationship, right? I mean, Matt, I pitied you and then we began our romantic relationship, so. I think I'll just make no comment on that one. (laughs) Yeah, so my point is that there really is nothing 
solid in terms of our our female protagonist. We don't even know what happens to Jack at the end, where he no. goes, because he forces a kiss on Gloria. She slaps him and apologizes via letter the next day. So right. it's not like he has any remorse. She still seems to be in love with him, despite their frankly bad relationship. And so we don't know why she's on the boat. If she's leaving, I guess she's leaving Alaska, like like the tramp is. But I assume the stowaway they were looking for was Jack. I assume somehow Jack was the stowaway, but that just oh. doesn't go anywhere. It's just a random stowaway, right? Right, it could be. And it's actually her actions that she tries to hide him as a, she thinks he's the stowaway that actually gets him into trouble in the first place. True, true. Yeah, I mean, but I think this does fit in very sort of nicely with the the thesis that I have for this film. Um, because I really think that this film is about the drive for the American dream or the promise of the American dream. But the film shows us that the American dream, right, to go from rags to riches or whatever, um, is not attained in any way through hard work. Uh, but ultimately through luck and happenstance. The Tramp never does any real... The only work he does in this film is the shoveling to make money to put the party together. Uh, But he doesn't really do any other work for Georgia. He does not actually ever do any prospecting for gold. He just happens to be in the right place at the right time and not fall off a cliff. Uh, And in that way, he gets the girl and the gold at the end and also his shoveling is also dishonest because he shovels the snow in front of someone else's business and then gets that person to pay him to shovel it down to the next business so it is still somewhat dishonest and there's this title card most way through the film when big jim and the tramp are making plans the night before to go find the claim Mm -hmm. and it says man proposes but a storm brews or something like that and then their cabin gets pushed we find out later right to where the claim is so it is absolutely happenstance and luck even when they have a plan they still get pushed somewhere closer like i thought when they were gonna get pushed by the storm they'd be so far away from the goal that they couldn't find it but they're put right to it so in a sort of deus ex machina situation they find the goal despite an additional complication right yeah ethan i want to talk about this in reference to the other charlie chaplin film that we saw on this list Sure. So In Modern Times is 11 years later than this film. Mm-hmm. And I think it's safe to say that I enjoyed Modern Times more in certain regards. Like I think it's more kinetic and I think it's more engaging. But I do think there are individual moments in Gold Rush that are better. I, I don't know if I would necessarily agree. I was much more engaged by Gold Rush. I don't know why. Uh, is it because uh, you've got deplorable morals and that's why you also could be could be that well and you know matt i do love treasure you do love your treasure i love treasure of all kinds buried treasure treasure in a mountain treasure in women all right all sorts of treasure okay I, (laughs) i think it's safe to say that in modern times has a better or more revealing message about yes, society modern times as a whole. is more political certainly and more clearly political and i think your definition of this film gold rush that is makes it also political yeah but i think modern times is maybe a little more fixed in that regard 
Yes, absolutely. And this is, I think, part of what I've read about Charlie Chaplin. I mean, people have argued that the older he gets and the further along in his career he gets, the, m- the more overtly political he gets anyway. I mean, g- culminating in the, the Dictator, right, which is his uh, anti-Hitler piece mm-hmm. where he plays essentially Hitler, a comedic Hitler, uh, and points out how bad Hitler is. So I think we're leading up to that, right? So, the, So I think that you're sort of draw to the uh not hard times is it hard what the heck is that called modern times modern times i always want to call it hard times um modern times is a i think a more sort of thought out and and clearly articulated thesis than this is uh which makes sense as he moves closer and closer to the dictator i'll also say that gold rush feels like two films feels like two different films happening there's this dance hall thing and sort of the idea of the alaskan city and there's the frontier out where people are staking claims and supposedly mining gold we we don't really see that we see big jim come up from a claim black larson come up from the same claim but you really don't see any of that actual happening and so about 30 minutes into the film we transition to the city or the town i guess it was really jarring it's like what are we doing now well, I literally the first 25, 26 minutes are the cabin. And when the cabin all finished up, I was like, is that the end? I was like, there's no way. There's another hour left in this film. Um, so I'm with you. It does feel very too filmy. Their reason for leaving the cabin also seems very strange. It's like once they get food, they're like, okay, see you later. <laughs> when they're <laughs> supposedly waiting for Black Larson to come back with food. And so... I don't know why they suddenly decided, okay, we're done with this. I mean, I guess they assume he's dead. Who knows? Well, if they assume he's dead, why wouldn't they have left the cabin earlier to look for food? Well, I think that it's the snow. They can't leave. They don't want to leave in the in the blizzard, which is why the tramp doesn't want to. Le- he thinks that he's pulled the the smallest lot, but he doesn't, and he's relieved. Well, listen, this is important too. What the fuck happens to that little dog? Oh, sure, Black Larson's dog. That little dog goes out with Black Larson, and then we never see that dog again. I guess he gets eaten by the bear. Maybe. Oh, poor doggy. I mean, they shoot this bear. <laughs> I mean, they do shoot the bear, too. That is true. I don't care so much about the bear. I care about the doggy. Well, at one point, that bear was a man in a bear suit. Yes, that was great. The man in the bear suit was fantastic. I loved that. <laughs> and if that's the bear from the very beginning of the film that follows Charlie Chaplin into the town or into the Alaskan frontier, I suppose. Yeah, I guess so. I, you know, and I love a good man in a bear suit. I really do. Well, why don't we turn to our three questions? <laughs> okay, let's do it. No, no, thes- no, uh, no segue. Just, just turn right to it. Just jump into it. Do we care about this film? Yeah, I think so. I mean, for what it's worth, I think this is a, a very good Charlie Chaplin film. He thought of it as his, his magnum opus. Um, I don't know if I have seen enough Charlie Chaplin films to really agree, but uh, you know, there's a it, there's a lot that happens in this that is important in film and in culture. It's a really funny film. I talked about it a few of the moments I liked, and I do like a lot of this film. At first, the first twenty minutes, I wasn't really sold on it, even though there were those, some of those moments were in there. But as it went on, I started to be more sold by it. I mean, the ending kind of left me feeling very strange, but. Yeah, you know, that's obviously, I would say, part of Chaplin's vision. 
Well, and how the fuck do you wrap this film up? I mean, at some point, it just has to stop. You know? Like, there's not really... There is no real through line in this film. And if we're to believe that Chaplin's process is just kind of scattershot, then, you know, how do you end it? Eventually, it just has to stop. Well, it seems to me that you can end with Georgia getting comeuppance for the way she's treated the tramp and he's just happy with his money or something like that right i guess so but i digress from that why don't we talk about what do we owe to this film um well the little the little dance scene that you love with the little bread which i didn't realize that was bread i thought they were potatoes <laughs> but i mean it's, just it's even I more impressive food. it's potatoes <laughs> I just like sweet potatoes, so I was like, oh, look, he's – I was like, I'm afraid one of those sweet potatoes is going to fall off that fork. Um, that – I mean, we've – I've seen that uh, in all sorts of other media, you know, played out. The Simpsons is a big one. Um, this chicken scene where the, he becomes food, that's in every Looney Tune. Every, you know, there's a version of that in so many cartoons. Um, and, and just the sort of shtick of Charlie Chaplin – has has become ingrained in this in the idea of I mean slapstick is Charlie Chaplin. That's what we think of. At least that's you know the what I think of uh, in, in terms of all of this. So it's it's hard to get away from that. Yeah, I think you're right. It's the same Charlie Chaplin routine where we owe a great deal to him and what he does to physical comedy. Yeah. But I think specifically that chicken moment stands out and it kind of floored me. I was like, wow, I had no idea that that this is, you know, where this probably comes from. It's not like he's a cooked chicken, but he's a full, he's a man in a chicken costume <laughs> walking around the cabin. There is a, there are a lot of men in, in animal suits in this film and I'm all for it. I think I'll leave that one alone and move us to our oh, third no. question. I'm not a furry what? man. No, that's, I'm not. I, I, no, no one said that. <laughs> Oh, furries. Anyway, what's our last question? Can we please go to that? <laughs> Does this film hold up? Um, uh, well, I I think so. I think so in a lot of ways. We watched this on YouTube. It was on YouTube in HD. Um, and man, it looked good. I was floored with how good this film looked. Uh, I could barely believe that it was a, a 1925 print of this film or whatever it, it looks fantastic in high definition the film looks really good and what's more is i probably wouldn't even be able to tell if it were not for little film skips that you see characteristic of that time period well and i believe that those jumps those missing frames are just from the the degradation of the film over time so from what i understand those would not have been there in its original viewing so uh that just comes with with age so you know if we had a better condition print uh it would look pretty damn good the entire way through so one way of answering this question is no this film absolutely does not hold up because it is literally deteriorating as an object in this world yeah that's a that is a great observation but another way obviously we both really really enjoy the visuals of this and it looks like, you know, a 21st century black and white film. I think it looks phenomenal. And also, Charlie Chaplin does not appear to age. No. God, he looks the same. I actually looked up. He lived until, like, 1977. Did you know that? Wow. 
he was old as the hills. Feels like something that just shouldn't be, right? There's like crossing of eras or something. Yeah, he was born in the Victorian period and lives until the 70s. Um, he does age, in fact. I looked him up on the internet. Um, and he does not look good. Well, he doesn't look at all like himself when he's old. But anyway, in the films, at least in the span of his career, you're, you're right. He does not seem to age. A lot of that is makeup, obviously, but it's still a right, testament to how well they can do that and maintain consistency. Yeah. Now, whereas the film holding up in terms of theme and genre and just execution I would probably answer that a little bit more in the negative just because we don't really do slapstick so much anymore. And I think right. there are scenes that are absolutely really hilarious. They're really funny. But whereas a Marx Brothers film tempers that slapstick between Chico and Harpo, you still got Groucho to do the funny talking bits that will carry you through the film. Whereas right. by the time that cabin kept falling off the edge of the cliff, and they kept having to repeat the same antic again and again to try to get out. I was like, okay, let's let's wrap this up. I, I I'm I'm good with this. Thanks. Yeah, it does uh, grate a little bit at times, but that's how it is, and that's how it'll stay until it deteriorates into a pile of nothing. And then, I guess, well, we'll still have digital copies, right? Yeah, sure, definitely. So that'll do it for this episode. That'll do. But. I want to point out that next time, two weeks from now, when we're back on AFI, we're watching a very different film. Ethan, do you know what that film is? Tell me the film, man. It's I'm Rocky. With... Oh. I don't think you're allowed to do any more of that. Oh, shit, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get sued. Let's make Ethan go away before he gets us sued into the ground. No. I've been Matt Bazell. And I am Ethan Knight. And there will be spoilers. You see what I did there? It was a silent film. There Will Be Spoilers 100 Films 100 Podcasts was created and hosted by Matt Bazell and me, Ethan Knight. Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight, and that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast, and you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers. It was a silent film. Although, you know what I should end us out on today? I'm going to end us out on this. Matt, I watched half of this movie right before I went to sleep last night, and I had some weird, weird gold rush style dreams with charlie chaplin they were not it was uncomfortable there was a lot of falling off mountains i did not like it and then i woke up this morning and i was like fuck what was a dream and what was actually in the movie i don't know ethan matt were your dreams mostly characterized by men in animal suits oh no oh no matt oh no they were not no they weren't (laughs) (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.